Two weeks ago, or 20 years ago in 2019 time, President Trump sent acting chief of staff Mick Mulvaney out to the White House briefing room to get his ass kicked by the press corps and send a constant reminder to the country why the White House doesn't hold press briefings anymore. Not only did Mick admit on live television that there was in fact a quid pro quo, undercutting Republicans' main talking point at the time and further complicating the president's impeachment troubles, he was also forced to defend the president's most recent violation of the Emoluments Clause in his quest to profit off the backs of the American people. The G7 Doral, because what's better suited for a conference of world leaders than Miami in July? After outrage that caused even some Republicans to break ranks, Trump eventually walked back the decision and the location for the next G7 is up in the air. So we had the thought, where should the next one be? Eli and I both picked one suggestion and one joke style one. Who picked better? We'll duke out to see. This is Fu Che, the G7. All right. So, right. So, typically, when typically when leaders are choosing G7 locations, they oftentimes want a location that's isolated, uh, relatively far away for for security measures mainly, and also for like the sanctity of the talks be relatively private right you don't want press to be to be interfering with it all the time so that 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 kind of led me to choose jellystone uh more specifically jellystone like the fucking yogi bear yes park. the yogi bear park in jackson <laughs> like right next to jackson mississippi right so there are, there are jackson, mississippi. locations like, and so it, it was it was really kind of a struggle to choose the correct one right one that would really kind of reflect the united states as a whole and they really kind of like demonstrated the values of the United States almost perfectly. So that's why I chose Mississippi. Mississippi is in Mississippi. Mississippi really kind of demonstrates kind of the almost the best values that the United States have. And Mississippi like focuses heavily on racial diversity, right? And so that these kinds of values and also very, very uh, culturally um, progressive in the sense that um, they have some people that believe in gay marriage. So it's like it, they have some. Is is yeah, some, some, more than some, zero. Some. It's more than more zero. than zero. It's quite That's important, true. right? And so this kind of this kind of reflection of our values is exactly why Mississippi is the right location. Now, more more specifically, though, right? I, I didn't elaborate on why Jellystone in particular. Yes, the Yogi Bear place is the perfect location. So um, it's like the, the best way I can kind of encapsulate it is like Camp David without everything. So like. Camp David without everything. So yeah, so each leader, uh, each uh, country's leader that comes to G seven, uh, even even the invitees, not the not the typical seven countries, each leader within within this Jellystone location would be able to have their own U.S. government provided RV, right? Because an RV, yes, a whole not, RV, not a an RV, because an RV presents so many more security benefits to a cabin. It's mobile, so in in the event of a terrorist strike. Right, it'll be able to just like get the hell away. I'm not grand. A terrorist. Oh. Okay, all right, we're done. We're do- we're done with this idea. <laughs> I'm not done, Joe. Let's hear the real I'm one. I'm not done. Let's hear the real one. We're, we're like we're like five minutes in, and we're still talking about fucking jelly bean, jelly belly, whatever. There's a cartoon cafe, paid and provided, paid for and provided by the U.S. government. So not only are uh, these world leaders are going to be staying in top-notch accommodations. They're also going to be eating the best of American cuisine. At okay, now that part might be true. 
right? So like, really kind of that, that those are the very big kind of, those are the very big attractions to Jellystone. Now, one, one last thing, and I think really kind of this is what sold me on it, is Jellystone has a dump station. Now, look, you're going to think this is really stupid, and it is, but this dump station is a metaphor for how connected we are as humans, since we all shit. Right. So at the at the end of the at the end of the week or however long, that's a pretty cynical take. Or however long this G seven event will actually last, um, the every everybody is going to go to the dump station to dump the shit out of their RVs. And so this kind of demonstrates, right? Like no matter who you are, no matter what creed you have, everybody shits. And so everybody everybody shares these commonalities, in particular shitting. And so like, so that that kind of this kind of idea of like commonality is what what jellystone will kind of enforce and like create to become really kind of the best g7 location uh that we've ever really had okay man let's hear the real one now because i honestly look i honestly think that's excellent that could have been my real one but it's the worst one of the worst all right. I, I said joke, not bad. Your just, just so everybody knows, my, my prompt was we'll a joke one. one, not a bad one. And uh, then then we'll talk. Okay, so uh, my my actual location, the one that I think genuinely like could be a legitimate G seven location, is the Amangami Hotel in Jackson, Wyoming. Now, the biggest criterion, and I mentioned this when I was actually in where Amangami Hotel in Jackson, Wyoming. Wyoming. Yes, Wyoming. Okay. And so the, the biggest... How are we, before we even start, how are you going to get leaders to Wyoming? Do you know that airplanes exist? All right. The, 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 let's hear it. Ooh. Let's hear the pitch. I'll hear, let's hear, I'll hear, I'll take the whole pitch. Okay. So I'll take the whole pitch. The, the biggest kind of deciding factor when you're choosing a G7 location isn't necessarily the location itself, but it's security benefits, right? And it's, it's ability to be isolated away from the general public. And so Wyoming is a generally isolated state, right? But there are, there are, there are still like cultural hubs. And we want it to be relatively close to a cultural hub, but also far enough to, away to where protesters will be, um, to where protesters won't be so much of a nuisance to not only press, but also world leaders themselves, because that's somewhat of a shaky issue. And you don't want, you don't want to kind of perpetuate um, this idea of, like just focusing exclusively on the protesters, because at the end of the day, these are talks between the leaders. And so that's really kind of what you want to focus on. And so this location in Jackson, Wyoming is relatively isolated. It's right in the center of the Yellowstone National Park. Now, it's not the park itself, but the park surrounds it. So entering it will be kind of difficult for um, really kind of any, like entering it presents a, presents opportunities to secure it even further. So um, we can have military garrisons um, if it need be. It still is close enough to the cultural hub uh, of Jackson, Wyoming, to where um, all, of, all of the kind of all the kind of tech, all the kind of technology that you would need to support this, the infrastructure behind a G7 would be implementable. And at the end, at the end of the day, it's just an excellent location because it because it kind of promotes a national park. It demonstrates the U.S. in a very positive light. It's securable. Um, and also really kind of, it's it's cheaper than a lot of the other locations simply because of its uh, isolatedness. 
Okay, so that that's that's your pitch. It's some isolated oh, nowhere, nowhere. Right, because like at the end of the day, right? Like we've had we've had several G seven. Hey, we've had we've had we've had three. We've had uh, well three three really modern ones. The one in um, the 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 three most recent are Obama's in Camp David, George Bush Juniors in some island in Georgia that they took over. And then I can't remember where Bill Clinton's was. Puerto Rico, I want to say. Bill Clinton's was in Colorado. I believe it was in Denver. Bill, oh, yeah. Bill Clinton. That's right. Bill Clinton was in Denver. He had, they had at the library in Denver. And then maybe Bush, Bush Sr. was Puerto Rico. No, Bush Sr. was Texas. And then maybe Reagan was Puerto Rico. But in, in any case, the most recent locations have all been relatively isolated because of the con- like growing concern over um, like uncontrollable protests, right? So Obama had to move. I mean, well, I mean, it's more been a security thing than a protest. Well, no, it's a security thing because of protests. Like that's that's the big security concern is protesters and really kind of like ju- just in general, the, the, the proximity to so many people. Um, presents a lot of security risks towards those like kind of running these events. I mean, to play to play devil's advocate, then shouldn't we we be a, a demonstration of American rights of Western Western values, of American rights to protest? I don't disagree with that. I, if they come, they can come. No, I don't just. I mean, when, I think I think we really should be a bash. Not, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to. I'm not saying that's my position, but I'm saying of a. A contrarian criticism of that would be well, and it really let the Americans come, let the let the people speak if they have a if they have a problem with the Italians, a problem with the Brits, a problem with the Japanese. Well, let them show up and voice their concern. Well, so and the, the, it is it is a very legitimate like concern, and the the kind of the kind of argument that I'm well, yeah, no, 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 I, I'm not disagreeing that it is a safety thing, but I'm saying that why not let them. Let them come. Well, the, the the biggest concern, not even not even just the safety, right? Like safety is the biggest concern, but the second biggest concern with that is that it prevents the talks from working at their fullest capacity, because a lot of I mean the the, the final the final stage is mostly it's not not where most of the work is. So traditionally a signing of a of an agreement now, and that joint statement gets hammered out. Much in advance of the final summit. Oh, oh, definitely. I, well, and I, I don't disagree with that. But in any case, like this is the the entire focus of this summit is to discuss these really kind of sensitive issues that the that the countries are facing. So I like the, the big argument is that protesters, or at least a, an overwhelming amount of protesters, would inhibit that. And so whether or not that would be, okay, that would be, okay, I understand that point. Like. So- so it's isolated and it's got protesters. Why, why specifically that town? Why specifically that town? So the big, the biggest uh, reason for choosing that is it, it kind of like it kind of emphasizes the it kind of emphasizes and puts back into the public light national parks and like I obviously like our current president wouldn't choose this for um, for his own personal reasons, but it would kind of it would kind of be a move towards. Um, better kind of like focus on the environment and not only that, but also just better focus and like emphasis on the national parks and kind of force our government to do something more with them rather than what they're doing right now. So obviously they wouldn't choose it. 
Oh, oh, okay. So, I mean, what would you, I know I didn't put this in the prompt, but what would you want your, your G, if this is your G7, let's imagine, yeah. what would you want the topic to be? I mean, I, honestly, like the biggest topic, um, and really kind of it's, it's on everybody's mind is kind of the international trade and the, the big kind of, the big, of course you pick the most boring shit on the fucking planet. What? <laughs> What'd you say, Joe? You're really going to roast me? You're really going to roast me? I'm sorry. I'm I'm so sorry. But only you would say, oh, I have my dream G7. You know what I'm talking about? Trade. Okay, hold on. Let me contextualize this before you roast the absolute crap. Oh, my God. Okay, hold on, right? Like, we we have this, we have this. I should have seen trade that war with China is a very large detriment to the U.S. economy, and more specifically, the trade war with China. Um, China's not at the G7. I know, it's not about that. Also, for, for our listeners, we, I didn't run through. I didn't. I didn't run through the list of G7 countries. We're going to make this mistake a lot, where we assume you know things that you, that the general public doesn't, through no fault of their own. The G7 is the U.S., Canada. France, Great Britain, Germany, Japan, and the European Union. Yes. And so the re- Was that seven? Yes, I believe. I hope that's <laughs> I, I, I think that is seven, yeah. But the reason the reason I we kicked Russia trade out. right now and I, I relate this to China is because the, the countries that are at G seven, these these kind of top seven leaders, or at least how it was in antiquity or antiquity back when they actually created this event. Um, these these top seven countries and like regions are all dependent on the health and longevity of not only the U.S. like of the U.S. economy because it's all it's all kind of this interconnected web of like trade. So if, if the U.S. economy is faltering and uh, slides into either a recession, yeah, well that that's that's globalization one hundred and one. If one economy goes to shit, other economies right. go to shit. Like, yeah. They're not they're not independent. They depend on each other. And so the big concern is that the the way that we are acting with China is is going to like adversely affect the countries that are at G7. So that would that's what would be on their mind, right? But, but we're also entering a trade word with other G7. Exactly. <laughs> like, no, I know this. I, I know you wouldn't. I know you wouldn't have started a trade war if you had the magic wand. But we're slapping terror. We every other week we talk about slapping tariffs on French wine. Oh yeah, yeah. We're, we're making some really stupid decisions on. on <laughs> it's really kind of a no bueno thing. I won't go necessarily into the technical aspect. Trade wars, are bad. Trade wars are bad. Hot take. So, so you'd want to have a, a collectivized response to, to the to the trade war. You'd want to try and get some coalition building. That, but also like like the, the biggest goal with this is to have all the countries discussing about the what what they kind of want in a resolution and figuring out exactly how they can achieve that. Um, may, maybe maybe continuing like the trade war with China. I'm not quite sure because at the end of the day, right, like there are genuine concerns with how the Chinese government is behaving. And I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but like the whole the whole protests in, in Hong Kong are genuinely concerning from a human rights standpoint, right? And there are also a ton of other human rights violations that China is performing. So, so yeah, I mean, you can talk about the, even the-, the mandatory re-education camps. I mean, like China does not have clean hands in this. Right, like it's just a not, it's not a good situation. And even though the trade wars have good intentions. So, so, so are you, are you, you'd want to try and 
find a consensus response to China. Right. Which, At which the end of the day, right? Maybe a trade war really is the best way. The best way to get China to. But you'd want you'd want to get our allies on board on board before. Right, because like I, I don't I don't I don't want the decision that we made to tank our to really kind of tank all of our economies at the expense of like at the expense of focusing on human rights because human rights is incredibly good. At the expense of human rights? Whoa, 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 whoa. That's antithetical to the values of the West, man. This is a philosophy. This is getting out of philosophy, out of a G7 summit into philosophy, which might be a good stopping point for today before we, before we, uh, we get, a, get into a, a bit of a tangent. It's 180. I think, uh, unless you have anything else to add about, so we're going to take a quick Wyoming as your G7 location before we get even further off. Do you have any, any, any closing, closing arguments on Wyoming? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to echo what I said before about it being kind of really easy to secure um, in the sense that it's isolated. So costs are going to be lower. Um, it's, it's further away. So protests aren't going to be as much of an issue because it's not as close to a cultural hub. Um, it's still, it's still an excellent location and it promotes the, it promotes this kind of envir- environmental agenda that I think our, our administration should get back on. Right. Environmental yeah, right. through Wyoming. Is it, is it close to a national right, park? Like the location is right in the center of Yellowstone. Oh, well, okay. so it's like, it's not actually the Yellowstone park, but it's, it's this kind of like inner lake of a, you, you and I thought on the same lines, I'll, I'll get to mine, but you and I thought along the same lines. Yeah about put, putting in near a national park. So I think on that note, we'll switch over to my joke location. If that that's all good with you. You ready? It's a, uh, it's a pretty good one. So like, like you said, um, or like I just said, it would be uh, it, w- it would be in in the interest for the U.S. to have one, you know, something that really says America to the world. You know, we're having world leaders from some of our greatest allies who maybe don't get to make trips over here very often, other than from Canada. They don't share a land border with us, so they really don't know what is what even if America really looks like and you know most of the time they come to the u.s they go to washington or maybe they'll go to new york or that's about it maybe la if they make it out there so thought i thought a lot about what really says america to to someone who comes there and I was thinking las vegas right on the strip gambling everywhere money changing hands all the adult activities that are around Vegas that are it would be a good, good introduction for 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 the world. You know, there's plenty of infrastructure. Oh, great! All all this security that's already in place from for all the vaults. Like everybody knows how to get on there. There's all these secure structures already there. There's good entering entering point for the. Uh, I feel like it would be good. For, for the world stage to come to come to the U.S. and what better than the desert in June? I mean, dry heat. Uh, walk the strip, gamble some money that you may walk back up the strip, go to your hotel. These are all legitimate allies. So, you know, if they spend a little money at American casinos, 
good for the who's to say that's a bad it's good for the economy good for the economy yeah. um let me just ask though what money spending would they be spending their salary or would they be gambling away the finances of their country well these are all these are g7 so i hope hope they'd be spending their own salaries okay okay that's that's a fair that's a fair quick back um one more question um you mentioned nightly activities could you elaborate a little bit more for the for the there's plenty of there's plenty of nightly activities i i I don't know what you're well i I just i just mean in the sense that like like for G7 leaders that haven't been to Las Vegas and don't know how to Google, what kind of nightly activities would you? Who don't know how to Google? Um, marijuana. There's marijuana in Las Vegas. Oh, right. That's right. I forgot about that. I don't, I don't think we have a, a representative from Amsterdam, so. Oh, that's it's legal. Opportunity for a lot of world leaders to maybe chill it out a little bit. Nice, nice. So, would you be a Okay, I'm way too proud of that. <laughs> I thought it was really good. But okay. Would you? Not even, not even, not even a fake. No, 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 no. I'm gonna follow up on that. I'm gonna follow. I thought it was funny, but I'm gonna follow up on that. Asking you a question: Would you be opposed to having the G7 be run entirely high, like everybody, all the G7 leaders are? <laughs> That'd be pretty dangerous. That'd be pretty dangerous. But you know, if world leaders wanted to make those choices individually, they certainly could. But like, what about having the agenda be like stoned at G7? What stoned a G seven? Well, that that would definitely, definitely attract a crowd. I think maybe the wrong crowd, definitely the wrong crowd, but a crowd nonetheless. So, all right, very fair, very fair. Okay, so <laughs> off that I don't one. Know what kind of questions I can ask you on this? Like. It, it wasn't. It wasn't as fleshed out. I, I have to admit, Jellystone was really fleshed Dude, out. Dude, I, I I tried so hard. There was a ton more information that you kind of cut off, cut me off. With. Yeah, well, because it was a dumb Dude, idea. It it's a I joke. It was so you did. You focused way too much on your dumb idea. Right. That's that's how I do almost everything, Julian. That's a fair. That is a fair. That is a, that is a fair assessment of, of your work ethic and, and mine too. I should be working on a, on a report right now. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so what's your real location? My my real location, but like I, I alluded to earlier, I focused a lot on national parks. Mm-hmm. I was just at one last weekend in Canada, and it was a, an absolute treat. To be uh, in in a, in a national forest, um, there was a G seven there too. So I said, okay, well, you know, yeah, electing a one it just like a liberal leader. This maybe maybe the Canadians uh, have something smart going on up there. So we, I, I dug dug around through a couple of national parks, went through Indiana Dunes was was in the running momentarily until I realized that there's not a whole lot of infrastructure there for the Indiana Dunes. It's kind of populated in the peak summer. So I got to the um, Chanel Islands National Park off the coast of California. National Park? The ch- the, I'm an idiot. It's the Channel Islands, yeah. not the Chanel. Wow. I've been saying the Chanel in my head all week. It's the Channel Islands. Wow. I, 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 I guess you really just wanted to be super, like, kind of, Culturally sensitive. You know, you know our, our pronunciation of Fuche, I think it just got in my head. And so I went with the Chanel. Okay. 
I know. Okay, it is the Channel Islands National Park. How is it spelled? And then A double N E L. Yeah, yeah. Fuck off. All right. <laughs> all right, boss. All right. I, I'm a little bit <laughs> illiterate. <laughs> you know what happened? Yeah. Apparently, I'm a little bit illiterate. No. So it's um, the national park section is north of LA. I know it's your favorite city, but the uh, the islands that I thought would be useful would be the would be Santa Catalina, and then potentially San Clemente too. But that's that's it's a short boat ride out of the harbor in LA. A nice seventy four average high daily average, daily mean average of sixty six and a. An average low of 56. So, pretty good weather. Thought it'd be nice for everybody to kind of sit outside, enjoy the nice weather. uh, So, Santa Catalina does have the infrastructure necessary for uh, to hold an event like this. There are some island inhabitants, but not a large portion. It has taken over the islands in the Channel Island archipelago before. This was for military purposes, but uh, now it's feasible to see how that could happen again for diplomatic reasons. Uh, securing, an, uh, like George Bush did in, now these are, these are all, uh, must have been 06, 05 or 06, some number of years ago. It would be a uh, Easily securable, isolated. Uh, I know you talked about not having protesters. I was not not really taking that into consideration, but let's the the um, leaders kind of isolate them. Leaders and their and their staffs isolate themselves from potential um, interference or or disruption of the conference. It. I personally thought though that it would be a great. Great, great, great location to continue climate change talks. I know you alluded to that being a big problem, and I, I'd really want. I, I really think uh, the channel, Channel Islands, would be a uh, a good location. I, if I were to hold a G seven, I would definitely want climate change to be the focus. And the national park is a is a great location because it's somewhere where we've kind of reversed our own footprint there. Uh, we had there was an oil spill spill in the seventies that killed a lot of birds. We had a there was a fox that's native to the islands that almost went extinct down to that. If I remember right, the single digits in the of the population that we, after intense human intervention, we brought it back. Um, it's somewhere that could potentially be threatened by sea level rise, and it would be a good good display for everybody to sit down and say. As we're going to lead as the G7, and we're going to push further. And, you know, California, L.A., maybe not San Francisco in, in terms of tech innovation, but still somewhere that's very progressive and I think would be a, a good display of what the future could look like in that sense. Um, so, can I... So what would you want as the outcome of these climate talks, right? We hear a lot of people say, like, oh, we should, we should really, um, I, I hear a lot of people say, like, oh, they want to re- reinitiate the Paris Climate Accord to do some other kind of treaty. But what would you 
want to accomplish out of that, right? Like after those talks are done, would you want a resolution or what? what, what... I mean, I mean, of course you want a joint statement, but I think I'd, I'd want, I would definitely want there to be a more aggressive approach and maybe more realism of what that looks like. I, I think transitioning the economy into a, a world that is beyond fossil fuels requires a lot of maybe short-term short-term deficits for to move into that environment quickly. I, I think calling for the eliminate uh, where we'll be fossil fuel free in 10 years or something. That's a, Kind of, is that is that a global goal or is that a like low? So, well, well, that that goal specific. That I'm I'm just going to argue against against that goal specifically. Uh, well, we're going to try and be, or even by 2040, we want the whole country to be carbon neutral. What does that really entail? Because doing that requires the expenditure of an incredible amount of oil and natural gas, and to transition the economy to build the infrastructure to develop the type of batteries that need to be done and then the other key thing is making that into a national or international project rather than this kind of thing that sits in the back and overhangs i I feel like is is the greatest challenge and the reason that that hasn't happened is not from a lack of trying of previous administrations the u.s didn't innovations in simply public transit i mean a bus is 30 times more feel is better for is 30 times better for the environment than 30 people in cars or and la lacks solid infrastructure that is necessary to alleviate its traffic problem and its production of CO2. CO2. so can i can i go off on a little bit of a tangent and ask you this question so like the G7 consists of seven top countries in the world. At the end of the day, there's still major players out there that aren't in the G7. Like China isn't in the G7. It's not part of those stocks. And neither is Russia, right? It's another big player who got kicked out of the G8 um, for, for the Ukraine deal, which I won't go into. For, invade, but... for invading a sovereign country. Right. And so, uh, like, whether or not that was well deserved is irrelevant in the sense that. It was well deserved. <laughs> no, <laughs> in the, in, well, I mean, in the context of my question, like, my, like what, what do you propose that these countries do to kind of, like, force the countries that don't really want to cooperate with these environmental regulations forward, right? Because China is really kind of like the worst abuser of fossil fuels. They like one of the worst abusers of fossil fuels, they don't really make any strides towards renewable energy. And I don't see, I don't see them doing I mean, anything China towards has been, that. In, in recent years, China's been picking up the slack that we leave on the table. Have they though? They have been, have yes, they though? Like, they, like we, we... Not fully because they're an autocratic country. They have other, other, fa- other factors that cause them to not directly invest in fossil <laughs> i mean they're not they're not where they should be and because like they but i i understand i understand your premise that because it's like there are other there, nations that there was this that the, the g7 does not does not represent enough of a force mm-hmm. to enact strict standards across the world that are necessary 
But the G7, what the G7 does have the ability to do is lead by example. And though they're not the seven largest economies, and they're certainly not the seven largest producers in, of fossil fuel emissions, but what, the, what they can do is, I don't want to say trickle down, say trickle across, I guess. U, U.S. put, if the U.S. refocuses science research towards better battery storage, refocuses development solar cells into giving more money to companies that develop better turbines, because, I mean, all these things are in the national interest. You have people in the military admitting that it's a national security concern, global climate change. It's Florida might be underwater. Florida's flat as shit. Floods pretty easy when it's flat as shit. We live somewhere that flooded because it's flat as shit. I mean, I, I feel like the U.S., the G7, though there's there's the case to be made that we somewhat handicap ourselves by moving away from fossil fuels in the short, in the short term, we handicap ourselves. It, that argument exists, but I feel like the U S can benefit by leading through example by saying, here, we're going to put our foot down here. We're going to reach this far. If you want to come join us, come do it. I mean, Europe per capita leads on research around the world. Europe, come with us. Research more. Hey, Australia, maybe you want to do this too. New Zealand, come on and join. And some of that negotiation with other nations that are, are less likely to fall in line simply because if it's like Russia, where it's a, a key source of GDP, where natural gas exports are like Saudi Arabia, where their whole countries based on fossil fuels mm-hmm. will be harder to move. Um, Obama had this problem with Prime Minister Modi where he said, Prime Minister Modi said, well, you guys, your, your country's got to develop themselves off fossil fuels. Why don't we get to? You're a superpower because you got to use fossil fuels. Why don't we get to? And that sentiment is going to be ultimately inescapable inescapable i think um there's going to be there's going to be challenges to an ultimate goal but if the u.s can lead and if the u.s and other g7 nations can lead an innovation traditionally at least other countries tend to follow okay all right that, that's a very fair argument i, I accept that okay so back so you're gonna you're gonna, you're gonna people people come to listen to tear in let's hear let's hear a tear in Okay, so the, the all right, I'll, I'll tear into it then because like that this argument kind of is predicated on you assuming that countries will inevitably follow, right? But there's no there's no real impetus other than say seeing another country do it and like be morally pushed, right? And that's not always enough to push a country. I mean, more forward, forces right? like, we, aren't we need. Enough. Yeah, no, no, I I agree because we, we need people like, don't just do that. Assuming that people are, are better than they are is naive. I, I, I agree that you can't just sit there and think, oh, well, they're going to, every country is going to do the right thing. That, that's not really how the world works. If it was, that'd be great. But assuming that everybody follows the lead is for the sake of being good is 
not not my exactly and so like if like just the reason i keep referring to this is because it's kind of a very good example of uh when this would fail is say for example china does not follow through with it and does not become like environmentally like sustainable and focused and just doesn't really become kind of a net like zero producer of carbon emissions or really kind of whatever metric you want to use let's say let's say they're not uh, they're not pushing right like we need them to especially yeah. them to move forward or else we really don't have kind of a a future to reverse so, so, what we so, have, right? because, so your point is is that the the u.s that the the g7 countries don't represent enough of a force to really drive change without the aid of china and russia right. like and that that's the big India. that's the big contrarian argument and honestly i kind of subscribe to it in the sense that like even if the g7 countries like just right right off the bat like even if they suddenly like created this amazing innovation innovation to become like net um net like negative or whatever the term is to say that no yeah I, I i understand that that argument but i mean it's the same thing we've seen that getting russia and china to net zero is going to be a long process and may ultimately never happen. But, and, and that's where a committal to things like carbon capture come in. And, you know, carbon, carbon capture is not a be all end all, but some things are going to be ultimately out of our control and getting, maybe if we move in the Overton window to the acceptability of these arguments by say, re- uh, fuck, hold on. By supporting R&D into these topics, by funding our more more copious amounts of R&D and not saying, well, let's just let the market decide. Let's really take a, uh, a stance and say, no, we can't wait for the market. We need to invest money now into renewable energy research to make the, to make these technologies more attractive two nations that are otherwise uninclined to do so purely out of their own development for for the the case of our country is not our country will not get to the the way that some nations may see it is our country will not get to where you are if we're not allowed to develop in the same way that you did and that is a, a, a totally understandable though i think fundamental based on current policy a potentially correct answer. I mean, I think that the U.S. really needs to lead, not only lead by example and and maybe stick its foot out into the into the water, but needs to hold his hand out and help other nations take that step too, even if that isn't always the most advantageous position. That understanding that, well, yes, you may be hurt in the short term. But it's incredibly important in the in the even in the near to long term. I mean, by the you have the UN every year coming out and saying actually the deadline's closer than we think. Again, we think it's, it's closer than we think. Why is nobody paying attention to us? It's closer than we think. The whole world could be fucked in like a decade. Why isn't anybody like? I feel like the the lack of a cohesive international leadership that is taking the tough steps that are necessary, albeit painful, 
is incredibly is is detrimental to it. I mean, countries are doing something, but not enough. Germany probably shouldn't have built a pipeline to Russia. They probably not a great not a great look. Canada shouldn't be mining their tar sands. Kind of kind of bad thing to do if you want to be an environmentalist. So. Can I, so I'm, I'm going to bring up that point that you made, um, and it's, it's kind of a statistic a lot of people throw around. Is that 10 years before we reach the breaking point, or at least that's kind of the consensus right now? I mean, that, that, like, that, I don't, I don't know the official value. But it, like, problem. like, even let's estimate 10 or 20 years, right? Like, realistically, the, the seven countries in the G7 alone can't, can't accomplish the goal that's necessary. No, to no, reverse, right? the, the, the so, G7 is not enough. Right, the and G7 so we, we mentioned that we men- you mentioned like that the United States and other countries would invest a ton of government money into uh, creating, like just just focusing on like not not like a little bit of government money, like a lot of government. Yeah, money. a pretty pretty decent amount into like into creating these new innovative technologies, like carbon capture, making that like an actual scale. I mean, carbon capture is one component; thing. is certainly um, not the be all end all. Renewable energy, like better batteries. Or like just better batteries for energy storage, right? But at, at the end of the day, right? What gives other countries the incentive to like buy those? Like, like say the because States, these need to be these need to be viable development options, and they're not. I mean, if if I'm a country that's developing on my economy, um, like that that's my concern. That's my concern. I pulled up today. Oh. That your your concern is that they're not that no matter what you do it won't be a viable. It won't be that no matter how better how good you make it it won't be a viable development option. The argument that a lot of people make is that, um, like at, at the end of the day, right? We should be focusing on adapting and preparing ourselves for this inevitable future, rather than like kind of believing that we can still somehow change, right? So, what's your argument towards? this idea of adapting to like this inevitable future of like hotter climates and much more predictable weather, um, hotter climates and much more predictable weather. And like, just this kind of less uh, familiar world, right? There's, there's definitely a concrete impact of having um, like a, having this like increase in this global like change in temperature, right? Like crop yields may go down studies about that or animal species well yeah this is not just a renewable energy challenge this is designing our crops to live with the fact that they might have to grow it re-engineering crops to look ah re-engineering crops to the reality that they may need to grow in different climates and drier areas i mean right so if why not put our money like the, the argument that a lot of people make is why not put our money into that rather than um, putting our money into creating purely renewable, like, because that's not that that research, that the the advantageous or not the advantageous that adaptation approach only helps us. It, it it doesn't. Not only does it not help the world prepare, it helps only helps us prepare. You get less bang for your buck, but also you have. Like I, I, I don't know if that that point made it through to your end. That 
living with doing nothing, not doing nothing, but focusing that money towards preparing for the inevitable, it's not going to come all in one day. Probably most, most, not all, but most climate scientists agree that it's not going to be some geostorm thing where there's five hurricanes at once. There's not a one day turning point. Right. It's not preparing for one event. It's preparing for st- sustained flooding. Sus- so, 500,000 year floods coming every 10 years. So your, it's, your it, argument. It comes for every 10 years forever. Right. So your, It doesn't come for every 10 years and then it goes away. It's not one big event. It's a continuous degradation of the conditions that we live in that like don't stop when we prepare and that's a, that's a good point you make that at the end of the day right we may and like maybe i'll elaborate on it a little more at the end of the day we may be able to adapt to what we expect but then again we can't necessarily expect what we think is going to happen is actually going to happen right? we don't actually know what will happen if say like our global temperatures rise two degrees within a hundred years rather than the than the much more gradual right in the past and like the, the really kind of limited information we have about the effects that that had. Well, well, so, since I, we're on limited information, this is a great point to tease next week's episode to stop this conversation here and tease next week's episode of Fuche, which is going to be Fuche climate change. Where we're going to continue this conversation a little more in depth, and we're going to argue over what the U.S.'s approach to climate change should be in greater detail, and also what kind of technologies are out there to prevent climate change. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Fuche. My name is Julian Morgan. My name is Ilya Trudeau. Thank you so much for listening.